You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Hey guys, Christian Babcock here of the Hunters Advantage Podcast. Today on episode 80, we were joined by Jake Hofer from Exodus Trail Cameras. We obviously talked about Exodus Trail Cameras in the episode. We also talked about buying a farm, how Jake shot his first buck ever off of his own farm, and we talked about some other hunting stories as well. I know you guys will enjoy this episode, so let's get into it. So everybody listening, watching, subscribing, thanks for coming back to the Hunter's Advantage podcast. This is episode number 80. Today we're joined by Jake Hofer um, from Exodus Trail Cameras. Thanks for jumping on with me, Jake. Thanks for having me, man. Pleasure to be here and uh, excited to talk here. Yeah, I actually, uh, it's funny. I've was been I've been watching Whitetail Cribs for a long time. I know that's one of you guys' like staple cornerstones yeah. for content. And, uh, but it's what's funny about that is when you guys were looking for people to come to Oklahoma um, and film some episodes for my uncle was actually on the show. I was watching it before we got together. He's the ambulance meat wagon guy. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that's so cool. Wow, that's super small world. Did you tell him? Did you tell him to apply, or did he randomly apply on his own? So Cameron was in some of the uh, he was in some of the Facebook groups, you know, the local hunting groups, oh, yeah. and uh, he was like, "We're looking people to shoot," and I was like, oh, I, "I can't shoot," you know. Uh, I was like, but you got, you guys should go to my uncle's house. And then, uh-huh. uh, so I sent him, I think I sent him my uncle's number and, uh, he's never on video. It does none of that type of stuff. And, uh, he was like, sure, then come out to the house. So that's how I got them linked up. And then I was so happy to see his episode air his house. Like there's not a, an inch of wall space that doesn't have a deer on it. Yeah. I know exactly which one you're talking about. That's so cool. Yeah. I, uh, I didn't go on that trip and, and Cameron has been a road warrior and has done pretty much all the field production and, and post. And now we have a team now, but, um, yeah, it's taken a life of its own. It's really cool to, to watch those. Have you got to go along and do some of the filming and producing? Oh yeah. Actual? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been on a variety of them. So like some of the ones out East, it just logistically doesn't make sense. But like, for instance, we're going to Iowa next week, uh, to record some with some, some folks we've been waiting to, to get in contact with for a long time. So that'll be a really fun one. It'll be there. And, uh, Iowa is my favorite one to go on trips with because people are freaking super nice and the deer are just unreal. <laughs> so it's just yeah, a lot for of sure. Fun. Yeah. What's been your favorite one that you've got to go on so far, man, you know, that's a, that's a loaded question because there's a lot of really good ones that come to mind. Yeah. Um, I'm off the top of my head, man, uh, Scott Seabolts in Iowa was a really cool one. So he had, uh, it's, he owned basically a three story apartment building. And then the top story is like his layer for hunting. And so you go in there and there's a variety of safari animals, elk, red stag, uh, some big white tails. And uh, it was really cool how it was laid out. And you're just in some small town in Iowa with a, uh, you know, three story apartment. And then they had a, they're really big into wrestling as well. So in the back of it they have a, a wrestling complex which is really cool as well so that that one really sticks out i tell you one that i wish i could have went on was the one with keith snyder uh the guy that has the all the antlers in his basement in ohio and i'm hoping we're going to be able to cross paths with him again this year and record some more content that's one i wish i wish i would have been there because that's uh he has a collection unlike anyone else yeah i man all those episodes are so cool like it seems like none of them miss uh, yeah i'm watching them uh, really, Roger really Roger Raglan was a really cool one for me to watch. Uh, yeah, that you guys shot in Oklahoma. I, I yep. don't know how you can ever get that many deer on like one wall. 
It's incredible. Yeah, that one that one was fun. I think uh, we just sent him a cold cold email like, "Hey, do you want to do this?" And he's like, "I don't really understand, but yeah, I'm I'm up, I'm up for it." <laughs> and, uh, so that one was uh, you know, that's one that he's a legend in his own way in a lot of, you know, with the whole generation and then what he's done is incredible. So to go and showcase that and and cuz people just you would never guess that's necessarily all his stories, all his deer and I feel that it's it's unique that we're able to do that. Yeah, that's for sure. So we talked about it. We we started off talking about it a little bit before the podcast. Um, but I obviously introduced you as being uh, your your marketing in at Exodus. But can you talk about a little bit about um, Exodus as a company, just a little bit, and then um, how you kind of got started w- with the company? Yeah. So Exodus, this is our seventh year in business. So um, <clears throat> which it feels like a long time, but in the world of business or owning a business, it's not very long. But um, started as a consumer direct company that was you know were consumers that were frustrated with there not being a quality camera that was affordable. I mean, Reconyx made a wonderful camera, but couldn't afford a $600 regular standard camera. So we looked at the business models in the space. Everything was off retail model. So basically for anyone that doesn't understand that, they make it, they sell it to Bass Pro. Bass Pro sells it to you. And there's basically two markups. With us, we're consumer direct. So we ship them to us. We quality control every single one of them. And then we send it to you. So we basically carry a 50% gross margin. Um, and that's true with basically all the cameras we sell. So we're putting more into the cameras. And then by selling them directly, we're able to provide a, the best warranty in the space. So that's a five-year warranty and then provide theft and damage coverage, which is insane. No one else does that. And so basically, if a camera's stolen or damaged, you get to replace that camera 50% off, which is our cost. So you know, we we've really kind of taken that this product category uh, by storm. I mean, we're still very small and uh, relatively relative to the competitors, but we're just carving our own path at a slow pace. And, you know, it's, it's been really fun to grow the business. And so your role directly is, is in the marketing department. How many, is there other people or is it just you? Yeah. So um, we have a team of six now at Exodus. And um, so I handle like the marketing brand strategy and things of that nature. And then we have um, Cameron and Lucas who will uh, do a lot of video editing and a lot of the graphics and things of that nature and and help produce the podcast. So it's been nice to kind of get more people on the team and shift around responsibilities and focus on growth versus, you know, in the trenches because there for a while it was, um, you know, Chad and myself for about a year and a half and we're doing everything top to bottom. And uh, that was, that was a challenging time, but it was like a make or break, and we've uh, you know really grown and we've grown the team, and uh, it's it's it's. I'll be very curious to see where we're at in three years, even. Yeah, no, it's been cool to to see the traction you guys have gotten just in the last couple of years. Yeah, and so being D to C, um, and you know being a trail cam product, something that you touch, you feel, you see in Bass Pro, you know, you you wait them around. Has that has that been an issue for you guys as far as growing, like being just direct to consumer? Yeah, I think there's probably been some limiting factors by not being in retail. Um, like you said, people go down the aisle and they look at all the the fancy keywords of you know impulse, reflex, trigger, like all these garbage terms that make no sense. We don't have that. So what we what we focused on is making sure that so we quality control every single camera before we ship them. So like when someone actually purchases it, we have um, you know a pre purchase and post purchase sequence, and then when they buy it, our our box is very Apple-esque. You open it up, uh, there's foam inserts and it feels really premium. And uh, obviously that's not by design or that is by design because it is a premium product. So that's how we've kind of combated that. But at the same point, we we bootstrap this business. So it's not necessarily like we're starting with a pile of cash and a product company is really challenging to scale without a ton of cash. So we've just had to go with that slow burn. And so we've grown at the speed that we can. I mean, if you look ever look at our website, we're out of stock all the time and that's not 
I mean, it, that's just because the supply and demand haven't necessarily met to where we're uh, inventory planning to where we need, but that's something we're, we're working on. But yeah, I mean, could we have sold drastically more possibly, but we would also need a ton more cash to buy the inventory. So it's a, it's, it's just the, the challenges of being a young business, which is they're fun problems to try to solve. Yeah. I don't know how, uh, how big of a follower you are of a guy like Dave Ramsey, but I, re- I read one of his books yeah. and he was saying, always grow with the speed of cash. And yeah. that's been kind of a limiting factor with me, even with Hunter's Advantage, because it's like people are like, hey, I want to get some hats. And I'm like, dude, I got it's 500 bucks every time I order hats, you know, so yeah. and I'm not going to take people's money before I actually get the hats. So it's like, just got to wait till I get some more cash. I'm not taking money yep. out of my personal pocket to fund it either. Yeah. So it's yeah. uh, growing at the speed of cash is always fun. Yeah, it is. And it's it's challenging. And there's times where it's like uh, in the world of business, like keeping up with the Joneses, you know, like you're like, you're looking at all the, these other companies like, man, they're already they're the same age as us. And they're there. And it's like, you just got to run your race. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't say be content, but also just know your situation and what can you control. But yeah, I love Dave Ramsey. I've read a lot of his books. I've read his business books. And uh, there's a lot of people that I think, and if you go down the Instagram real um, wormhole, and everyone's like, Debt's good, leverage, you know, hedge against inflation. I know a lot of really successful people that borrow no money. And those are the people that aren't loud about it. <laughs> so it's, mm-hmm. it's, uh, I think I wish that minority was just a little bit louder in that sense because I think people, I don't know. I mean, debt can be great. And, uh, you know, I know this is kind of down the wormhole, but I, it's hard to argue with people that have had a ton of success that have just built at the speed of cash. Oh, that's for sure. And I, I can, I can sleep peacefully at night knowing that I don't have to sell anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm good. I'm not, I'm not leveraged to trying to get people to buy something. I'm not contingent upon them buying something from me yeah. to be good. So for it just, sure. it's some peace too. Yeah. I think a lot of businesses go, uh, you know, run out of cash and, uh, they get in a hard position. And then a lot of times I think they sell before they need to, and then they're selling in distress. So it's not a good situation, but, um, yeah, I mean, we've made we've made our own mistakes along the way, no doubt about it. So, so you talked about uh, the replacing cameras at cost for yeah. cameras that are stolen. I think anyone that's listening, and and me too, out of curiosity, how do you verify if someone has actually had a camera stolen? It's you know that's an issue. That's a question that we get all the time, and it hasn't been as big of an issue as what you would think. So we've had a couple of bad apples, but so you, if you buy a camera, there's a serial number. You go and register it. You're in our database, and then you report, "Hey, this is uh, this camera stolen." So okay, so we go into market, and then you know we replace that camera one time. And to be, it, there's not a lot of people that that really even claim it to be to be honest. And the reason we do that is not to like, oh man, we're going to sell them another camera, like when you take in shipping and merchant fees, we're losing money on that camera, but it's part of buying into the brand and, and realizing that like, we're not here as a, that's not an additional sales opportunity. Like you are into the brand. If you believe in our products, you know, we want to keep you here. So that's, uh, that's the philosophy behind it. And, uh, believe it or not, there's more good people than bad people out there. So that's good. Yeah. I think it's cool when companies take this approach because it's, uh, it's that adage of doing the right thing is always the right thing. Mm hmm. And even when, if it doesn't make financial sense. Yeah. And I, I think, I think that's cool that it's, it's worked itself out in a way where you guys have not got many bad apples. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really special. And I, I think that has to come with price point. And I think, um, with a lot of the people that end up buying our cameras more than likely have followed some level of content and it, it's, it's easy to maybe it's easier to steal from someone faceless, but like, no one's getting rich here man like are you really gonna do that <laughs> yeah. um so I, maybe that plays a fact into it too 
So um, what's, I think it's also unique. You said you guys have a five-year warranty yeah. on the cameras. And what, yes. what all does that cover? Just just anything? Yeah. Anything so we on with the camera? A five-year manufacturing warranty. So if a latch broke, um, the night pictures start, you know, they're a flash unit goes out, the IR, sens- uh, the IR filter goes out, the PIR sensor goes out. Anything like that, we'll fix or replace it. So that's something that's unique with us too. We can actually work on the cameras. We can take that thing apart and replace things. So then, um, you know, you get your camera back. If we can't do that, then if it's in within that five years, which is a long time, it's half a decade, you'll be covered. So when people look at the cost of, you know, even with the, the render, the cell camera, so 335 divided by five, you know, all of a sudden it's a really competitive uh, price point to have a camera that you know you're going to have a camera for five years. And then they're built to last a lot longer than that too. So that's something that um, I think once people realize that, like, wow, this this is uh, pretty special. And like I said, we can actually work on them too. So have you guys built them in a, in a way that's modular where you can, instead of being soldered down, you can pull individual pieces out and replace so you can send it um, back without replacing s- the whole camera? Some of them, yeah. I mean, a lot of the a lot of the, the problem parts are, are easy to replace, and some of them we would have to just replace completely. Like we're not working on uh, PCB boards or anything like that um, in the office to speak of. But uh, to fix a latch, super easy. To fix a you know an, a PIR sensor, not that crazy. So, and that's we have a team for that too. So that's something that we've we've scaled. So, um, yeah, it's that's what those people do. That's they're they're experts in that. And so I <laughs> thank God they're they're there because they're you know they're really important to our business. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, so yeah, I wanted to preface by talking a little bit about the trail cameras, but I know apart from the trail cameras and working and marketing and all those things that you do, you're also a hunter. Yeah. And we love to have hunters on the Hunters Advantage podcast. So you you talked about shooting a buck on your own farm. What is what is that meant for you? Meant to you? And what can you what can you tell me about that story? Yeah. So it's uh it's a really it's it's really special. So uh, the long and short of it is I. Um, I lived in the suburbs for about a year and a half. My girlfriend now, fiance now worked at Agco um, and was a customer service person. And then I worked remotely for Exodus. I was like, well, we can, you know, if you want that job, I'll work remotely. No big deal. We both did not enjoy living there. So then we moved back, bought a house um, where I grew up and uh, near where she grew up as well. And then we drove by this farm quite often. I was like, man, that'd be a place I'd really love to buy if something, um, you know, were to come of it. And I, I'm a licensed broker here in Illinois as well. So the long and short of it, this this gentleman calls me. The people that we're at right now said, "Hey, um, I'm interested in another property you have listed for sale. Uh, I would need to sell mine to buy that one." And I was like, "This is going to sound crazy, but like, stop right now. Like, <laughs> I would be interested in buying that." And so the long and short of it is, uh, came together, uh, put 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 together a purchase agreement, and uh, it was actually my. In my, it was in my family before. It was the, my great grandparents' farm, and uh, before that, it was in there for like multiple generations. So above my desk here, I have a plat map from uh, 1912, which has like the trust of what it was my great grandfather at the time. So bought back like the original family farm, which was really uh, sentimental and and really cool. And uh, so they tore down the old farmhouse and they built a new house in the 70s, and that's where we're at now. But it's so cool because you look at the old aerial imagery from like the 1920s or even pictures from the 1880s. And you can still see the same Oak trees that are in my backyard or like on my back 40 here, which is just so crazy to think, you know, like soaking up the shade under the same tree, uh, you know, a hundred and whatever years later. So that's the farm that I bought and I bought it in the end of September. And so I was able to put in a couple food plots before we bought it. This, uh, the farm's like average, I would say like, it's not in a, it's not in the mega big buck areas. Um, but it's a, it's a good area. And so the, 
um, I was I was bouncing around all over. And then uh, one day during it was late October, I was working here at the kitchen table and it was pouring rain. I was like, I have to go in there. Like this part of a farm I hadn't been in there yet. Uh, and so I went in there and it was absolutely tore up. So I hung a cell camera and then so I was getting a lot of inventory of bucks. And uh, the way the farm lays out, like with an east wind, there's a spot that I hung a tree that same day in the rain. It's like, man, with the east wind and coinciding with the cold front like this is this is an awesome spot the night before um i was hunting on the further part of the farm and uh this buck was just like dog and does this this was november that was november 9th so like peak rut and uh, he was 60 yards didn't get a shot and then i was like the next morning the wind was shifting and so it went to an east and i was like okay well that's that's gonna be killer it's like way back in a bedding spot bedding area and uh Went in there and it was like textbook. Like I heard him grunting basically in my backyard, <laughs> like in the oh, barnyard, awesome. uh, hooked, hooked into the bedding. And it was like a 15 yard chip shot and smoked him. So that was, that was so crazy because it all happened really fast from the time. Like we ended up buying this. It was like all oh, within two months. So, uh, it's something that I still, uh, like when I walk outside, it's like, I just, uh, get overjoyed with gratitude of like how lucky I am to, to be in the position that I am and uh, to walk off your front porch and then go hunt and shoot a, shoot a buck. Like that's, uh, that's oh, everyone's that's dream in my opinion. It's really cool. Did you know, uh, did you know before you started looking at the property that it used to be your great grandpa's? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so they sold this in the seventies. Uh, my grandmother has since passed. That's who grew up here. And then so like my mom has memories of like coming here in the summer and, uh, yeah, so it, it was really cool. And it's even cooler to have the old pictures and stuff of the, of the homestead here. And, uh, yeah, so it was, it was really special. So, um, I don't think we're going to be going anywhere, <laughs> so it's good to have it back in the family and, uh, yeah. continue to tinker around on the farm. And, uh, like I said, it's not, I, when I bought it, I did not buy it for deer hunting. I, it was more for just a, a place to, to live. Yeah. It's cool. That it has utility for both though. Oh yeah. I'm not complaining <laughs> one bit. Yeah. I mean, the fact you can kill some nice deer, uh, in your backyard. Yeah, absolutely. I actually, this week, uh, two days ago, I got done working. It was like, I don't know, five o'clock. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I'm just dying to go look for a shed. And I, I found like a little uh, match set of a two-year-old 10-point, just 150 yards in my in my back door. And I was like, man, that is so cool just to, to be able awesome. to do that. How big of a big a farm is it? Uh, it's 40 acres. Oh, that's perfect. Like my grand, grandma and grandpa live on a 40-acre piece. And I'm like, this is just big enough to have a place to hunt and have like enough place to spread your wings and be away from everybody. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so we're, um, we're not too far out of town and, uh, there's really no houses right on top of us. I think the, the closest house I can see is a mile. And so Ooh. it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's everything. Cause when you live in town and there's no knock, cause I've lived in town too, but during the summer when I'm working in my office and all I hear is a lawnmower at all times, it doesn't matter what time of day it's, and you come out here and it's just quiet. And I didn't realize how much, uh, the value of quietness. Oh my gosh, that stuff's good for the soul. That's why I like to be in the woods. I'm like, I don't hear anything. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, it's special. You talk, uh, I know you have the the land podcast as well that mm-hmm. you do. Um, and I think it'd be valuable to some of the listeners. I, I just thought of this maybe taking a little bit of a turn. Um, a lot of people in that are listening probably have some sort of aspirations of buying a farm one day. I know I do. I know probably a lot of the listeners to the podcast do as well. Um, what are the some of the the misconceptions, pitfalls, what are the, some of the things you you need to do to ensure that you can get a farm, whether that's mainly from a financial perspective to get a farm? Like, where do people go wrong? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I think uh, people people think that it's probably harder than what it really is. And I say that 
Um, I mean, obviously you have a full-time job, you have a podcast and like, so I think you have to have a strong work ethic. And the only, you know, the only, the only reason I was able to do this was because I have two careers, like, uh, you know, work with Exodus and I have real estate and, um, you know, like how do people balance that? I was like, well, it's just a lot. <laughs> it's not a perfect balance. Um, and so that was probably the biggest thing of like just building and being diligent. Like you mentioned, Dave Ramsey, um, you know, like, uh, before we had, um, I bought another farm last year too. So <laughs> the, only, the only debt I had was our, our house and, uh, another chunk of ground. And so when we bought this, like all we had, like no car payments, no student loans, like no, nothing income is not that great. Like I'll just debunk that right now, but it was just having the cash to do it. Um, and being diligent. And so I think that's probably one thing. And the other, there's a lot of people that I've talked with that you can hear other people's stories that go on there, the first time land buyer series, and you can hear their stories. Like I just had a school teacher on there, uh, a good friend, and he's a school teacher and he just bought 60 acres. And uh, same thing, he just has been very di- diligent with the savings. And then so uh, we have lenders on there that talk about, you know, you don't really necessarily need 25 or 30% down to buy a chunk of recreational ground. If you're buying a house in acreage, there's an episode on there that's really great with uh, John Gibbons out of Wisconsin. He, he's a lender. You can buy a house in 40 acres with a 3.5% down payment. <clears throat> Not saying it's advisable, but that that option's out there and uh, you get a long-term fixed rate. So the biggest thing is just it's an uneducated area and I think people get intimidated and there are people who are very sophisticated in the space and uh, you get to listen to some of those people too on the podcast. So it's a, it's a good mix and uh, hopefully it's providing some value because it's a it's a really fun project. I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, no, that's a, I mean, that's a cool, cool topic, cool idea. I think it's definitely something that needs to be spoken on. Um, so you're saying with the if it has a house on it, is it considered like an FHA loan? Like you can get that three point five percent down? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. I mean, um, so like if you get um, I don't know, like a house in 40 acres, we could just run some numbers, but like uh let's say it's a three hundred fifty thousand dollar house. Um Someone's probably doing this math faster than me, but I mean, $12,000 down to buy a house in 40 acres versus if you were to go buy that outright or like with a rec, line, uh, rec loan at 20% down, that's 70 grand. Tell me, tell me much. I mean, the $12,000 is a, is a finish line that I think everyone can, um, can see. And you could save that up in a year, I think, uh, if you cut some costs and, you know, figure out a way to make a little extra cash. And that's the thing. I mean, the balance of that, you know, you're at the tree. There's a real challenge of finding a house on acreage that is either A, affordable, like not a new build, or B, not a piece of crap. So like there's, yeah. there's you have you have to like be very diligent and be prepared because that's the thing on these good houses. If in my business with the amount of people I talk to, like, oh, we just want a house in 20 acres, here's our budget. Well, like you and everyone else on earth. Like, so that's <laughs> why you have to be ready uh to move like with swiftness and promptness and confidence. Like I've already done my homework. I've already talked to the bank. Like, here's my pre-approval. Let's write an offer. Let's get it done. Versus like, mm-hmm. well, ho- like ho hum. Like, well, what about septic and spe- like you want to do those things, but like, I guess uh, being knowledgeable on the topic beforehand can help you execute it. So that would be my my piece of advice. And the FHA, pro- like, I'm not a I'm not a lender by any means, but for a lot of people, it could be a, an awesome option um, to get a 30 year fixed rate on on a piece of ground because depending on what part of the country you are too, like that land's going to appreciate probably faster than the house too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, are so when you don't go through like the FHA route, or is it usually on twenty year terms, or or what is land? It it rates? depends depends on the lender. Um, you know, like 
transparently, the first farm I bought, I had to put 30% down. I went with a single branch bank here locally. Um, I went with them because there was a relationship there and I really enjoyed them. And I think, you know, there's, there are people I trust. So I, I was able to do that. Now there's other options out there where, um, we had someone on our podcast, uh, bank of Farmington and they do 15% down. So, I mean, that's in, in, so that's kind of like the range, like 15 to 30. Most of them are probably going to fall between 20, 25% down. And then loan length can vary drastically. A lot of, some will only do 15 years. Some will do 20, 25, and you will find some that do 30, but not a ton. Mm, I see. Yeah. That's a, I think sitting on a good pile of cash and being diligent is always a good thing. Um, I have a, we have a piece that, uh, so my, my family actually moved down from Wichita down to Vanita and they bought a 450 acre piece and it's, it's kind of split out now. They, how I was talking earlier, my grandma and grandpa live on the 40 acres. Mm-hmm. Um, it's split into 40 acre pieces now. And I'm like, man, if I was in a good cash position and <laughs> I, I already had my own house taken care of, right? Like I could put 20, 20% down and slowly acquire these little pieces of acreages yeah. as people move out. But it's like, if you're not diligent about it, that's, that's never going to happen. You know, you're not going to be positioned to act swiftly when people are wanting to get rid of stuff. Yeah. Yep. That's, you had to be prepared. And there's a, a quote, I'm going to start including a quote of the week every week for the land podcast. I'm going through and making the spreadsheet right now. But one of my favorite ones is don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. Cause I think people get really caught up and like, man, well, I, I remember that farm sold for $3,000 an acre 10 years ago. Like, well, it's, that's never, it's never going to sell for that again. Like those days are gone. So yeah. like, I think, uh, you know, just in a long-term perspective in, you know, being a strong position where I, yeah, basically, basically be patient, be patient and diligent. And that's really what all boils down to and educate yourself. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. Um, so yeah, we went on a little tangent there about land that just, that got me excited. The possibility of, a of getting a, a farm one day. I know that's the dream for a lot of people that are listening to, yeah. but, um, you had a really cool buck that you shot on, um, it was on your Instagram, uh, yep. a 10 and a half year old buck. Can you tell me a little bit about that story? That one was, was insane. I think you posted the jawbone recently. Did you not? Um, I don't remember if I not. did or not. Uh, I don't post a lot on Instagram. So, so I got you. So it probably doesn't look that long ago, but, um, yeah, so that was, I got a permission parcel, um, kind of just by happenstance. And so that was the first, the first year I ran cameras on that farm, there was a, a, a really, really solid deer one. I regret that I wish I could have shot. And there was another, uh, this was the second biggest one. So I just named him the number two buck and, uh, showed up on a scrape. And I was like, man, that deer looks, I mean, he was probably like a mid one sixties type class buck, maybe low one sixties, not a lot of time, not a lot of length, really good mask, long beams. And, uh, it's funny because people are like, well, how old do you think that deer is? And it's like, you don't really know. It's hard. It's so impossible just to guess without any previous history. So I was knew he was mature. And, uh, hunted that deer quite a bit and it was just like kind of cat and mouse never never uh happened the following year and i had that deer in velvet the year before like pretty regularly and uh the following year he did not show up at all in velvet and i'm thinking like what the heck happened to him and then sure enough october 24th he showed up and he just like he you could tell it was the same deer has same exact brow tines similar frame and uh, he just looked haggard and he just like looked run down beat up like his hips were starting to narrow in and i was like i'm still gonna try to kill him like i knew that uh, like that deer's yeah. old as heck and uh so i went in and kind of set up and uh there's a little 
it's there's some bluffs there and so i set up to where like my windows like clipping just off the bluff and it was a morning hunt and uh, he came in opened up a scrape and then it's so i i don't know if he heard me or not for sure but i had the extinguisher and like bleated like this the most soft softest bleat ever until like i could he, and then he kept circling back and he just wanted to get downwind of me calling so bad but if he did that he'd have to fall off cliff and uh eventually it was it was quite the standoff he stepped in front and then i ended up shooting him and then so when i shot him i was like man this deer looks like this deer just seems old like it just doesn't seem like he has to be old and when i was thinking like you know he might be eight or nine years old and like you get people like raising their eyebrow like yeah right whatever and then so i was like well, i'm gonna send his teeth to you know get aged like in a forensic lab cementium annuli and which at that age they have a a much higher accuracy than like three or four years old. And so like for anyone that doesn't know cementing manuli, it's kind of like the rings in the tree each winter, there's a little line in the teeth. And so sent that off and they came back as like 10 and a half years old. I was like, Oh my gosh. Wow. And the weird thing about that, after I killed that deer, um, a neighbor about, I don't know, about a mile away, texted me this velvet box. He's like, Hey, I think that's that deer from like 2015. And at that picture, he looked like he was four. And I was like, well, he's at least nine if he's four in that. And it, I mean, it, it was all definitely the same thing. His brows never changed. And uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever kill a 10 and a half year old deer again. And for anyone says they would rather, you know, kill age class versus score, I would have rather killed him a nine when he was 160 inches. But <laughs> but uh, I think people just say that to make, make themselves sound cool. But I mean, I'm super honored to kill a deer that old, but I mean, it would have been cool to shoot him a nine. <laughs> Oh yeah, hundred percent. Why not age and uh, and big rack? Exactly. That would have been the that was the perfect uh, intersection of score and age. But uh, I was a, a year late, which it's uh, it was really cool. It was a really rewarding hunt, and uh, I haven't found any other ten year old deer since. How much did he fall off from from nine to ten? Oh. I know you said he was one sixty. It's hard to tell in the in he, pictures how big he I, actually was. He was like one twenty nine, one thirty. He broke off a little bit, so he lost every bit of thirty inches. Um, it, assuming he was 160, which I would say conservatively he was 160 um, in that the year. Before. I was I was swiping through your posts and you had like a trail cam picture of it, I think from the year before. It was like a video, yep. and yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, that that is a 160. Yeah, yeah. And so it was just like, man, you know, and his beams wrapped around it. It was weird because the other interesting thing was the year before. So when he was like 160, um, there was that other really big deer, and he ended up getting shot. And then there was another deer that was. Uh, 10 point like 140 and uh was <laughs> this i had some other videos i mean this like looked like a bossy deer <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> the best way i could say it and so late season um the um the deer that i ended up killing he shed both sides and he like was very gingerly like working this scrape without antlers as late season january and uh and then like i'm like why is he acting so weird and actually uh, I can't take credit up for it. We were at the great American outdoor show and Cody DeQuist was like, man, look at that deer. He's like super nervous hitting that scrape. And then I was like, well, that makes sense. Cause there's a 10 pointer that went and hit it like three minutes later, like super aggressive. So like, even at that point at nine years old, he was, he was not the dominant buck in the area. And, uh, it's just, I don't know. And the weird thing of that too, is the year after, like when he was all haggard and beat up that same deer that looked like he was bossing around the year before the end of winter was on camera. Like, just looking like King Tut walking, walking through the Creek bottom. So it's, I don't know. It's fun. Like that's one of my favorite things running video on uh, cameras as well. You get to pick up all those crazy things that you never, ever, ever, ever would have done. If it was just pictures, like you wouldn't pick up that his tail was tucking, look nervous. You wouldn't, you know, so that, that's the other thing I just really enjoy doing is because you get to pick up all those fun little facts. 
Oh, yeah, you don't get to pick up any of the mannerisms that they have, the individualness in a picture. It's like a glancing shot instead of like them getting pissed off or them getting scared at something. It's, yeah. You can tell a lot by video, and I like I like watching trail cam videos. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Are they walking super gingerly and like nervous at all the times, or are they just like barging through and don't give a crap? Like You're going to hunt that deer differently, I would assume. Yeah, they have different personalities, and you approach a, a timid deer different than you are an aggressive deer, and that's yep. just another piece of data that can help you chat, uh, put some chips in your favor, some stack them in your favor. Yep, absolutely, and that's that was part of the reason in it. I've actually had really good success with that extinguisher. I never used to use grunt calls ever. And uh, that was the first buck I ever like grunted in. And that was the thing is like, I knew that deer was super timid and I just like the most gentle, like he's just looking for a doe. He's opening up scrapes. He's not looking for a fight. And it, it definitely worked. And there was, um, I think two years after on that farm, there was a, I don't know, I would assume a four and a half year old deer that was covering a bunch of ground. And I grunted as like aggressive as I could. And, whoop, and I ended up shooting him too low, but um, you know, it's like, you have to know the mannerism and I, you can't get that without pictures in my opinion. Oh yeah, that's, that's true. I think it's fun shooting super old bucks. I shot a buck this year. Um, I seen that. Yeah. Just a freak, just a weird deer, like a 16 inch G2 and then like a handlebar, like you're riding a Harley on the other side, yeah. just like the weirdest, but probably scored like, it's probably an 80 inch deer, but it's my oldest, it's my oldest buck I've shot by far. And that's I'm cool. in in the video as we're recovering it we're like messing with it and my buddy he, he's he's like yeah this is he's probably five and a half and i'm like yeah he probably is and then i sent him to my taxidermist and he pulled the jaw on him i don't know how accurate it is on just aging but he, he estimated him about seven and a half and i was like yeah. man this is i just wonder similar to the buck that you shot i'm like was this a a, a freak could have been older I, yeah like could have been older and i was just thinking at five and a half did he have a massive rack you know it just it's so interesting to see how they change over time. Some deer get you like your deer might've had his biggest rack at nine and a half. And it's, it's weird to see how the age differences and how their racks. I just wonder that every time you shoot a super old deer, it's like, wh what did this deer look like? I had no history with him at all. So I had no idea. Yeah. What, what was he in his prime? I wish they could carry that, uh, you know, on their back hide and you can look like, okay, well, like the, you know, you pull out a wall and they're like, here's my kid at two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. <laughs> it's right. like, I wish we could do that with bucks. I wish so too. I mean, I had, th this is my first year leasing that property. So I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of bucks on there that I have, uh, I have pictures and video of this year. So hopefully I can get some of that history rolling in year after year. Yeah. Is that, that's in Oklahoma then? Yeah. So it's interesting. I, uh, I live in Texas, but I hunt almost exclusively in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Um, it's my, it's my home state and, uh, just have a lot better relationships with people there. Like in, in Texas, uh, the leasing game just seems like to be exponentially exploding. Like people just have cash. People are moving here from other States. They they're willing to pay. Uh, I tried to get a one lease. It was five grand. He's like, you can shoot one buck and one doe. And I'm like, oh. dude, no, I'm not. I'm not doing I'll go that. to a, I'll go to a destination state for that price. Yeah. I can go outfitted in Kansas. If I draw, you know, yeah. like probably um, 3,500 bucks. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I love so five. It yeah. just, uh, it just so I have a small one to 110 acre lease in southwest Oklahoma, and then we hunt uh southeast Oklahoma in the mountains public quite a bit too. Oh, cool, so yeah. yeah, it seems. Um, I don't want to like put Oklahoma on blast, but it seems like that has been a highly underrated state for a long time, and it's slowly getting the respect it deserves. Yeah, I think so. Um, there's been some giants, Gunner uh, Womack. I've had him on the podcast, he shot the Oklahoma state record with his bow, that one that was an eight by eight. I oh, yeah. He was on White Tail Crips too. Yeah, that one. Uh, 
that I feel like that's the one that's like put us over the edge. It was yeah. like steady climbing, and then that one's like, okay, I'm I'm in. Exploded. Yeah. Well, that I remember seeing that. When was that? Like 2017, probably. Mm, yeah, 17, 18, something like that. Yeah, I remember. I was like, Oklahoma. What? <laughs> that was where it was killed. You know, mm-hmm. and it's uh, that's really cool. It's a giant deer. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, there's there's big deer. I mean, I, I think there's big deer in in, in most states. Uh, maybe maybe not Arkansas, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, there's pockets. Yeah, there's there's pockets, and I've seen some people that have been managing properties for you know 15, 20 plus years, and it's like one fifties on on the reg, and it's like yeah, okay. I think anything's possible with the right nutrition and the, the right piece of land, right management style too. Yeah, I think one forty, one fifty, one sixty is probably attainable anywhere in the United States, but the one ninety, two hundred, two ten is not attainable everywhere in the country. Yeah, we I've got a buddy that's got two thousand plus acres in Southwest Oklahoma. It doesn't rain enough. And he's like, you know, mm-hmm. we get one sixties and every once in a while we'll get a one seventy. And he's like, but we have this much acreage and we've never seen a deer like one eighty plus. Yeah. And it's like, it's just they just don't get that big around here. There's some, but mm-hmm. just not not a not attainable for where they're at. Well, good thing everyone has a driver's license and you can go to a different state, but uh I'd I'd have no problem shooting one forties every year. Oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah. I'll shoot anything it's, if it's mature, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Speaking of out of state, it seems like uh, in, in 2019, you went to you went to Nebraska, right? Yeah. Yeah, I went to Nebraska. That was my, yeah, that was my first out of state trip. Um, kind of a, on a whim, went with the, the same school teacher friend. He's on break and uh, it was super hot here. And I was like, man, he's like, you want to go to Nebraska? And I was like, what? And uh, it's over the counter, super cheap tag. And I was like, well, there's, you know, it's like 60 degrees in December here in Illinois and I have no deer to to speak of like, yeah, let's go. So really with no expectations at all, we just headed to Nebraska and literally just bopped around the state and, uh, I ended up getting some permission, um, just by luck. And so shot a whitetail, not like a two-year-old whitetail, which I was more than happy to shoot just the, the experience was so much fun. And, uh, knocked on a, on a guy's door and said, can we hunt there? And he said, yeah. And it was just, uh, there was like one of the only green food sources in the area and there's deer there all the time. And, uh, <clears throat> the weird thing about that story too, is shot that deer and, uh, the shot was marginal and, uh, we like backed out for maybe, I don't know, two hours, maybe less than that. And we went there and there was blood trail on this deer and uh buddy saw like, well, there's a coyote. And I was like, holy crap, there's a coyote too. And it was eating the deer that I had shot already. Like it was almost cleaned off. We only got one back strap and one front shoulder off of it in like two hours. It was like a dinner bell went off. And uh, so that was crazy. And then we figured out <clears throat> somehow the gun got bumped, shot it before I went out there. And uh, so then we ran into a different guy and uh, it was a rancher. I was like, <clears throat> he's like, well, if you guys want to come mule deer hunt, you know, like go buy another tag and come here. So, uh, that's what we did Just up like just a super good guy. And, uh, so he showed us around his place and shot my first mule deer. So it was like for a late season, cheap hunt with no expectations. Like, like you could not ask for a, a better hunt and buddy ended up shooting a mule deer too. So it's like three bucks in seven days. That's, uh, that's gonna be hard, to, hard to top. So I went to Kansas this year and, uh, <clears throat> there seems to be a theme too. So, I missed a, a really nice deer in Kansas on public ground during the rifle season. And I don't, I shot the gun again too. And I, I don't know if I'm a crappy driver or what, but like my gun got off and I missed a really nice, I don't know, like a 138 pointer. Like uh, uh, the guy I was with had a picture of it. Yeah, it was a really nice deer. And uh, it's just, uh, 
it was fun. Like I had so much fun. Like once again, went there way late after the rifle season. I want to say, I don't remember what the dates were, but it wasn't an opening day and <clears throat> really had no expectations. And there was a hot doe in the area and Buck was trailing her and, you know, messed up the shot. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, but a lot of, a lot of fun here. I'm sitting on four points for Iowa right now. So this will be going into my fifth try. I'm going to try to draw a tag there this year. Um, not in one of the like super marquee zones, but <clears throat> hope to draw that. So that's kind of the, the rut out of state hunt. And I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do early season. Um, so we'll see what happens, but yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. It's good to go scratch that itch and just go get some fresh air in, in a different place. Were you guys in Northwest Nebraska when you, when you shot your muley? Yeah. 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 Th- sounds- there's only a handful of spots. I think you can really get into them. Yeah, it sounds like you guys had the, pretty much the opposite experience as we did. We went up there for the muzzleloader season this December. Oh yeah, and oh my gosh, it was like a it was like a war zone. It seemed like every state had their representative there hunting. It was like Minnesota, <laughs> Wisconsin, Illinois. I mean, everybody was there. Um, yeah. And we got to talk to one of the biologists up there, and he was like, "Where are you hunting?" And we we told him, and he was like, "Ugh." And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he said, uh, "We checked 200 people in there opening day of rifle, and there's only like, oh my gosh." Yeah, there's only eight roads that like go into the place. And I like started doing the math and I'm like, I don't like these. I don't like this right now. No. And uh so it, it was heavily pressured and the deer you could tell they did they did, were not uh not moving. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, we started on public too and uh kind of like quickly got the impression that we need to have a different plan if we want to try to fill tag here. So <clears throat> uh, we just we just went prospecting for basically went and tried to find got up super early drove around found where the deer were um went and knocked on some doors and that that seemed to serve us pretty well i mean could we humped around on public and killed a deer yeah but it's like well, I, I know some people like to embrace the suck but i got just let's <laughs> try to figure out how we're going to be successful here <laughs> oh yeah i mean you gotta ask yourself what kind of experience do you want to have and i, I want to enjoy it you know this is my vacation yeah so i want to have a good time yeah, for sure. Yeah, are you going back to Nebraska? You think? Or are you going to go to a different state? Um, so we've had uh, we've had some plans kind of fall through uh, this season. So what we were planning on doing uh, was we had a we had a buddy that um, has some land out in the Oklahoma Panhandle. We we're going to go do antelope out there um, with a bow. It's only a two week season in Oklahoma, but they're already filled up on that, so not going to be able to do that. And then we're going to put in for Kansas for uh, mm-hmm. archery this this year. We'll do that, and then. Um, that doesn't work out, uh, Missouri or Arkansas, watch out. I mean, I don't, I don't know how it'll go if that doesn't, we don't draw it there. Yeah. Well, so are you sitting on any points for Kansas or are you going in? No, no. And I've been looking at some of the draw statistics and it's weird cause they have like first choice, second choice, third choice, fourth. And so I don't know how that, um, affects the t- statistics, but at least on the first choice option, most of the places we were looking at had like a. 68 to a 70 something percent percentage rate on the first choice. I don't really know how it works um, as far as draw odds, but I, I know I had some buddies last year that put in and drew in their first year, no preference point. Man, well, that's, that's good. I, uh, the gentleman I went with this past year uh, for Kansas in 2020, he's like, Oh yeah, you'll draw. Like everyone draws. It's a 90% draw all this other stuff. I was like, Oh, I'm the one person that didn't draw. So I had a, I had a point and then I drew for sure. So I wanted to go back and get some redemption this year for Kansas, but like I don't think Kansas and Iowa the same year is realistic with work schedules. So I'm gonna oh, buy a point. Right. I'm gonna buy a point, and I'll be back in Kansas 2023. Is my plan. So you, you're for sure. It, you're pretty much a for sure shoe in for Iowa, right? It's five years every five years. 
Yeah, well, you know, with COVID, it seems like there's been a serious point creep in Iowa. Um, like the good zones, zone five and six, I, I don't think I would draw with uh, sitting at four. So, um, you know, like it, it's just like everything. Everything seemed to have got a creep here. And then <clears throat> I think a lot of people did not, um, you know, like there's people that were drawing on nine points in Iowa, meaning like they just kept building them for I don't know why. You can go and look at those statistics. So like people had nine points, eight points, seven points, and they're guaranteed draw. And Iowa really doesn't give out that many tags when you look at how much grounds there and you look at the non-resident tags, like some of them, I mean, I hope there's a couple that are under 200 tags, which is not a lot at all when you look mm-hmm. at the entire country. So yeah, I, I mean, that's part of the allure of being able to go to Iowa. Cause I, I'm, I'm really pumped and excited to, to go chase some Iowa, Iowa bucks, hopefully. So we'll see. Are you going to go the public route or are you going to try to get a, a lease or something? You know, I, uh, I'm probably going to end up going with an outfitter, which it's tough because you're, you're sitting on that tag for so long and with, and I, I know everyone's busy and everyone has limited days, but like if I can be more successful in six, seven days versus going out and burning three weeks of, of time, mm-hmm. like in a perfect world, I would probably go burn the three weeks, but it's just like, I mentally cannot do that because that like the, the storm of work when I get back is not realistic. So I'm, I'm going to go to an outfitter. I've uh, talked with them and I'm hoping I'm going to be able to do like a couple mini trips versus just going out and like rolling the dice. Okay. Here's your seven day block. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to go out and do at least two or three cold fronts. So that's my plan. Um, nothing set in stone, but that's the, that's the tentative plan. I have commitment issues with schedules cause it's like, Oh man, do I really want to nail myself down for that or not? <laughs> cause I never know what's going on here. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, we've had that. I've ran into that issue. I took my dad and my brother on a guided hunt. And, you know, when you set the the date in stone, you know, this five, six, seven day block, it sucks because the weather can do whatever. Like we went in December and we're like, surely it'll be cold. These deer will be hitting wheat. No, it was 80 degrees. Deer didn't yeah. move. And if you got an outfit that's willing to work with you, as far as like, let me tell you when the weather's right and I'll be there. That's yeah. that's best case scenario. Yeah. And that's the one advantage of, you know, my schedule. Like I can, I can afford to sneak away two or three days a lot easier than I can go sneak away for two weeks. So mm-hmm. that's uh that's strategy. I'm really excited about it. Um, and yeah, so we'll, we'll see. I'm slowly, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm really geared up. So that's, and that's part of the, the fun of going to Iowa next week. So we're going to go shed hunt for two days and uh, record some whitetail cribs. So I, I always get extra fired up. And there's, there's a special aura about Iowa. It's like when you're Illinois is great. Don't get me wrong. I would say it's good in some spots, but like Iowa's excellence, the promised land. And it's, uh, it's funny. Like you just drive three hours and it's, it just has a whole different vibe. Yeah, no, that's the, that's the whitetail Mecca for all of us that are chasing deer. Yeah. Do you have any points yet? No, but you're, you're inspiring <laughs> me. I'm, I'm going to look up the, the draw on that. When do you have to put in? I think it opens in May and closes in June. So preference points, 60 or $65. So, I mean, it's, it's an expensive tag, but I, that's the other reason I decided to go with an outfitter too. It's like, okay, I'm 27. If it takes me five or six years and I'm hunting until I'm 65 or whatever, like you only get so many goes to go to Iowa. So you better go make every one of them count. Yeah, well, I mean, once you shoot this 200 inch, you got to come back and get your next one on public. <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, I would be all, I'd be all for that. I think maybe go and get one under my belt. And uh, man, there's there's a lot of people that have obviously like the hunting public, and there's so many other people that have had success. I know it can be done. Um, I just, I don't think I'm at that level, so I'm, I'm gonna go learn the ways. Yeah, no, that'll be fun. That, that's exciting. Do you guys get any the turkeys at all? 
A little bit, yeah. I mean, I'm not a fanatic. Um, Cameron's all about turkey hunting, but I uh, it's the same thing. Like, if I'm burning time, uh, I'd rather it. If you told me I could go on a scouting trip in Iowa and shed hunt versus go turkey hunt, I'd probably go do the Iowa uh, shed hunt and scouting trip. So, but it's yeah. it's it's so much fun when you get turkeys talking, and uh, it's good because it's springtime and you get that cabin fever off you a little bit and go out and chase some birds. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's I. I grew up turkey hunting and there, I can remember so many days of going turkey hunting and then like catching the bus, like a mad dash of like, okay, if you don't get them off the roost, hurry up, we'll go back and then go get into the bus. And I remember so many days like that as a kid or like smashing a turkey before school. And then, you know, like dad dropped me off of school. I mean, that those are, those are so fun. And I think uh, it's great for getting people involved. That's uh, it's so much fun. Yeah. That's turkeys for me are, I'm similar to you. They're like, a, a, I'm just, a creature of opportunity like they fall in the right time of the year where i've just i've just now recovered like my deer hunting hangover from being gone so much and then i'm like <laughs> yeah. i'd like to get out a little bit it's getting warmer i yeah. got one buddy that's killed turkey in like nine or ten states and he's trying wow. to knock off like three states a year wow. i'm like man dude i just don't have that sort of drive and i also don't have the vacation time to yeah. to do deer and turkey is he gonna try to do the u.s slam like Canada? yeah Burns? he is okay yeah that's he cool. actually moved to, to Southern Iowa for a, uh, for a job and he lived there for like six or seven months. He knocked off four or five States in one fall or one spring. Wow. He hit, he hit Michigan. I, he hit them all. It was he's an animal. Yeah. He's a beast. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot of fun. I mean, I, I could see the allure of that, but I, uh, I like whitetails too. So, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, one thing that, that was kind of more pertaining to this, to this, the cameras before we go, um, what's a what's the rate how does it work as far as a cell cam uh, data plans for exodus yeah that's an important question because obviously really um beyond of the camera so the exodus renders 335 on our website and then so we partner with a software company called scout tech it's a it's a father and son team that heads that and uh <clears throat> they're really talented and so you go in there you register the camera it's super easy line fees start at seven dollars so like let me just give an example so like if you have three cameras it's each camera is a seven dollar line fee and then you can buy a data plan and share that same data plan with all three cameras. So basically, if one camera is super active and one's not, they're all pulling from the same data plan, which is a pretty big advantage. Um, and it's, everything is through Scout Tech. So our render is on the Verizon network. But you can, as long as where you put those cameras has Verizon signal, you're golden. Like you can have AT&T, T-Mobile. And uh, there's a lot of misconceptions with that. And I think there's a lot of misinformation too. Or like, well, can I just add it to my phone plan? And it's like... Just, just go to the website, watch the videos, and you'll be an absolute expert in a matter of about five minutes. Yeah, no, I like that. That's a. It seems very advantageous versus a lot of the other trail cam uh, companies, and, and I've used it, several of them. But yeah, um, it's like you get that one camera that sucks, batteries die, and then you got to pay for that one individually for yep. its internet the whole time. You know, it's not pulling from a. A, an umbrella plan i guess you could yep. say yeah and the other thing too is uh so scout tech there's no upcharge for like i know some they charge you at 30 cents for an hd image or like to get unlock premium features right what you what you see is what you get we don't we don't like pay block any features like we want you to use the camera in the most effective way possible and we're not here to nickel and dime you so that's something that we're pretty proud of and uh i mean there's uh there's i got pictures yesterday of a deer still holding its antlers one that's been there for at least a year now like this solar panel lithium batteries um and it's, it just works so it's like to me that's that's what you're buying like it's a camera that works that you don't have to go and tinker with and uh you know i have obviously I haven't ran any other cell cameras so i can't compare them but they're 
they're huge, man. They're they're really nice, and I still love uh, our non-cellular ones as well. Like we're working on our next generation of cameras, so those are all out of stock right now. But we're working on a lot of really exciting projects here at Exodus, and this will be the year of the render. So we hope to introduce even more people to cellular cameras. And it's funny because you know there's a lot of competition in that space. There's no secret, and it reminds me when we had our original camera, which is our Lift One, which retailed for two twenty nine, and at that time it was the race to the bottom. So you had all these cameras that are a hundred dollars, one hundred forty dollars, one hundred fifty dollars, and people wouldn't necessarily want to buy the Lift One out of the gate. It's like, well, I could buy two of these for your every one. I don't know how many people we've sold cameras to people that buy the two cameras. One of them breaks, or one of them doesn't work at all, and like they want to go buy a camera that works. That is what you're like. Whenever you spend something, you buy something, you pay it. If it works, then you're good. Like it doesn't do any good to buy a crappy product that doesn't work. And then like, are you still bragging about how cheap you bought it for? Or are you, are you pissed off? Because I would be pissed off. Yeah. I've completely changed my philosophy on, on these sorts of things. I used to be one of the people that wanted quantity um, over quality. And in these situations, like my lease, for instance, is, over almost three hours from my house. If I drive and one of those cameras isn't working in Joe Biden's economy with the $4 gas and stuff, <laughs> yeah, right, dude, I'm, I could buy another camera as instead of making a trip up there. Yeah. You know, so having those cameras that work, um, it's huge. and I, and I can plan my vacation around those cameras. Those cameras can do so much for me. Um, and they just pay for their, they pay for themselves if you have the right ones. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the cell cameras too, especially for that, that lease is three hours away. You have solar panels like, okay, so you don't have to go check them. They're right there. You can try to make, is it worth go up the trip? Like you don't want to become too reliant on cameras, obviously, but you can make more informed decisions, I think, which is obviously key in any scenario. Yeah, I think, I think that's for sure. Uh, well, Jake, thanks for, thanks for jumping on with me. Uh, just close in closing here. How do we connect with you and how do we connect with Exodus? Maybe a listener, someone wants to pick up an Exodus camera. Yeah, so you can connect with me at just Jake Hofer at inst- on Instagram. That's straight up at Jake Hofer. The Land Podcast, so you just go in there and type in the Land Podcast Jake Hofer. You should come up uh, with a lot of different episodes on there. Like I said, if you were intrigued slightly by that conversation, go through the catalog. I think there's like 40 episodes right now, new episodes every Monday. And then for Exodus, you can go to exodusoutdoorgear.com or to our YouTube channel, just type in Exodus Trail Cameras, and we have piles and piles of content, including all the Whitetail Crypt episodes. So we're going to have some really... Uh, exciting guests. We're actually um, knock on wood. We're supposed to be recording with Bill Winky next week for Whitetail Cribs. So that's one I'm really looking forward to, and uh, should be yeah, should, a lot of things on in store. And uh, sign up for our newsletter because that's where we announce all of our uh, sales and product launches. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.